Isn't this one of your favorite Sundays of the year? Isn't it one of your favorite Sundays of the year? All can come down forward and we can just say amen and go home. No, no, it is. But there's something about he has been good that demands something from us, right? That we remember, that we remember and we treasure all the things we see this past year through the lens of who God is and what God has done. And, and I just want to say on behalf of Amy and myself, there's a new Thanksgiving in my heart. That's really kind of an old one, but it's a renewed one. And that just, we are so thankful for you, the church. We are so thankful for you, the body. We had recently this past week, um, we had the funeral service for Amy's mom. And um, inside of that, there was just a sweetness of what God is doing in my wife and in my life. And, and just watching and being reminded yet again that our breath on this earth is not our last breath to be taken. But we are thankful because of you, because we come home to cards we come home to emails. We come home to just prayers that have been saturated. And, and I would love to say that that happens in every single church, but it doesn't. So I, Amy, we are so thankful for you. And not just for you, but we are thankful for Christ in you. We are thankful for how you love so well. And it is only because Christ loves you well. And through that, you love others. So we are the recipient of that love. And I just wanted to say thank you for that as we begin this morning. And the question really is before us is, how has God been good to you? I don't want you to just leave that question as we sit in that question all morning long. I want you to be able to ponder that and let the Holy Spirit even bring up the things that we're to be thankful for. But what, what hit me this week as we were thinking about He Has Been Good Service that happens every year at this time of the year is I wondered if next year could be even greater. And I think it could be. Because I think there's a key that we need to know today so that we can sit in this same place next year and it be an even greater thanksgiving in our heart. And do you know what that key is? Is that we would believe that God is good today. Thank you. Because he is, right? But inside the hard, hard things, sometimes we wait to determine if God is good or not good. And some of you are in very, very hard things. Some of you are in wonderful places, but God is good in both. And it's in my prayer today that as we get inside of God's word, that he would stir in our heart, yes, that he has been good. And we reflect on this past year. But even more so than that, that he would set in our heart a strong belief that God is good. And that we enter this place next year and we flood the doors and we flood the seats and we flood the conversations with the many, many reasons that are in our heart that he is good. Our passage this morning is Mark chapter 10, 17 through 22. While you're turning there, I want to give you a little, I want to set the scene a little bit so we can have some context here. Jesus is in the final years of his ministry. And inside of that, the cross is in his sight. And he is not turning back because that is why he came. And everyone except Jesus is struggling to comprehend the meaning 
to comprehend the necessity and, and the freedom of the cross that he's talking about. It just, it doesn't make sense. So therefore, his parables, the truth that he taught and the questions that he asked, it just caused sometimes more confusion than it did clarity, right? Because they didn't understand the fullness of what he was talking about. They did not understand that his death was so that we could live. How does that even make sense? Especially if you're living on that side of the cross and the resurrection. How does that even make sense? So his teaching sometimes left them more confused than it did with clarity. So many were exposed, especially in this third year. Jesus is headed to the cross. His teaching is um, just intensifying. And the clarity that he's, he's filling in more and more blanks of why he came So many are exposed, especially in the four directions of Jerusalem. But Mark 10, verse 17, brings us to a story about one man who connects something that to this point, at least in Matthew and in Mark, until this point, no one else had connected. And that connection is this, Jesus and eternal life. This is the first time eternal life, that phrase, is used in Matthew and Mark. So this man saw something in Jesus that made his heart open itself up to start thinking about eternal life. This man thought Jesus held the secret to eternal life. And when you combine the Gospels, this story is in three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And when you combine those three Gospels and the description and the stories together, that is where we get the title of this man, that he was the rich, young ruler. So let's read this passage together. Mark 10, verse 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor And you will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. As you can see inside this passage, one of the unique parts about Jesus is he was an incredible question asker. I don't know if that's a phrase or not, but it is as of right now. He was a great question asker. In fact, in all the Gospels, he asked more than 300 questions. Exactly, Sarah. Exactly. Jesus didn't ask questions. Obviously, he is the son of God. He didn't ask questions because he lacked or needed information. Why did he ask questions? He asked questions so the listener, the one being asked, could understand and see their heart as he saw their heart. The condition of their heart But not only is Jesus the king of all questions, but he is also the ultimate revealer of truth. Why? Because he is truth. He doesn't just walk among this thing and start spouting off facts of what's true. 
He's saying, I am truth. Truth now has become a person in the flesh in front of you. My words are not like other men's words. I am truth. Listen to what I am saying. So inside of this passage, we're going to walk verse by verse. But I want to start with the most blatant, clear truth that Jesus says. It's just straightforward. It's just right there in Mark 10 Verse 18, and Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? Here it is. No one is good except God alone. The belief statement that I pull from that is simply this. God alone is good. That's brilliant, right? I mean, that's like top PhD level right there. But listen, this is what I've learned in my own heart as I've spent time with this. The simplest truths about who God is is the hardest to believe. God is love. God is good. God loves me. God is good to me. It's so simple, but it's so hard at the very same time. So I don't want us to rush past this. I don't want us to get into the rich young ruler. Let's let God be the centerpiece. And let's spend just a moment inside of this. Because if we don't, really believe that God is good. And when we say God is good, it's important also to know that there are two Greek words primarily that would be used for good. One is kalos. Kalos would be intrinsically good. That means completely good in and out. Can't be anything else except good. The other Greek word, and that is the one that Jesus is using here, is agathos. Agathos is benevolent. He is a giving God. And when you put those two together, this is who God is. God is absolutely good. The perfection and completeness of his goodness has no Achilles heel. There is no chink in his armor and there is no crack in his foundation. He is forever good. Say this with me. He has been good. He is good. He will forever be good. All right, that was your practice. Now, I need everybody to raise your voices just a little bit more with the intensity and the joy of believing such things. Repeat after me. He has been good. good. There you go. He is good. He He will forever be good. good. Not only that, but he is also, don't don't repeat after me anymore. (laughs) Not only that. But he is immutably good. A big word, but an important meaning. His goodness never changes. It never changes. It is never less than or greater than it always is. It is the same day in and day out. James 1.17 says this, Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom, listen, there is no variation and there is no shifting shadow. That is the goodness of your God. But it's also immeasurably good. His goodness has no length that ends, no height that is reached, and no depth that bottoms out. And lastly, but not lastly, he is supremely good. Listen, church, his goodness overpowers every evil, every time, in every way. His goodness overpowers evil every time, in every way.
So when we sit, does it do in your heart what it does in my heart? Does it build thanksgiving for God being such a God that is so good? But my question to you is the one that I asked this weekend, and that is this. If God is so good and he is, why is it so hard to believe in the hardest parts of my life? Why can I believe that he's sovereign, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present? But in the hardest parts of my life, it is so hard for me to believe that simple thing, that he is good. That he is benevolent toward me. That he is for me and not against me. Here's the bottom line that I came to. That when hard things happen, I cannot hold a position of blaming him and believing that he is good at the same time. I must choose. When a hard moment happens in our life, a difficult, whether it's our own making or it's the result of others' activity toward me, I cannot hold in my heart blaming him and believing he is good at the same time. Our flesh wants to blame God, right? It wants to blame God for every pain that is in our heart. We blame him in various ways. We blame him for his seemingly delay, for his allowance of the pain even occurring. We blame him also for what seems to be silence. But believing that God is good invites God's grace and his mercy to meet every fear and meet every tear inside of my life. Believing God is good helps me to have these three things, and I know there's many more. Write these down. Faith to walk, hope to hold, and love to extend. Believing that God is good instead of blaming God, but believing God is good helps me to have faith to walk through the shadows of death. Through the shadows of the darkest places in my life. It also gives me hope to hold. Hold what? Hold every promise of God. Not hold it in a way that we demand him to meet his promise, but hold it in such a way that he is faithful to keep his promise and also love to extend to who everyone and everyone includes even my enemy. God is good. And that rich young ruler probably believed that God is good because he was well versed. But what he didn't believe is our second belief statement of the morning. And that is this. He did not believe that Jesus is good because Jesus is God. He could not see Jesus as the promised Messiah. His pride kept him from seeing that the Son of God actually stood right in front of him. It wasn't a lacking of zeal or earnestness or respect. Look at verse 17. Mark 10, 17, the first part of that verse says this. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up knelt before him and asked him. The rich young ruler ran with zeal. Zeal is a great thing. He knelt before him in humility and earnest, and he asked him respectfully, yet he did not see Jesus for who he really was. Listen to his question again. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit Eternal life. 
Matthew's account says it this way. Teacher, what one good thing, good thing is singular. What one good thing must I do to have eternal life? Did you catch what he's really wanting to know? He's wanting Jesus to tell him the one good deed, the one good doing that I need to do so that I can have and inherit eternal life. There's several things wrong with the question. First of all, I love how Jesus endures our bad questions, right? We ask them all the time, and this is a beautiful example of that. But the first thing is that inheritance doesn't come by doing, right? An inheritance comes by being and receiving. That's what an inheritance is. Secondly, is he saw Jesus as the one who knew the secret of what the one good thing was to do. But he didn't see Jesus as the one good thing. Jesus responds in such a perplexing way to this question. And this was such a good study for me this week because I've never really seen it this way because I'm not taking time to do so. Finally, someone is asking about eternal life. Remember, this is the first time that phrase has been asked. Finally, someone is asking about that. The table is completely set for Jesus to declare, I am the life. I am the resurrection. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. But he doesn't. What does he do instead? He goes to the heart problem of the man and he says, why do you call me good? There is no one good except God. Really what he's saying inside of his question to the rich young ruler is, God alone is good. You call me good teacher, but can you not see that I am good because I am the good shepherd who is the son of God? Let that sink in just a minute. Because does it seem like sometimes your prayers get no further than your lips? And it feels like Jesus is just simply not getting what you're asking. I would say it's because we are addressing Jesus as who we want him to be, like the rich young ruler, instead of who he is. Jesus did not come to become an idol of our heart. He came to be Lord of our heart. Let me say that again. Jesus did not come to become an idol of your heart as if you could control and rule. He became He came here to become the ruler, the Lord, the savior of this heart. That he would be the master, we would be the servant. He would be the father, we would be the child. He would be the potter, and we would be the clay. So in light of all the goodness of Christ that we can clearly see. We see something about eternal life that this rich young ruler couldn't. And we see this third belief statement inside this passage this morning. And that is this. Doing good will never be good enough to merit eternal life. Doing good will never be good enough to merit eternal life. The rich young ruler was convinced that he had his list and he actually checked it twice. And he was, I'm not going to say the next phrase, and was convinced all the boxes were checked in his life. Mark 10, 19 and 20, look at it. 
You know the commandments. Do not murder, Jesus is saying. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And the rich young ruler said to Jesus, Teacher, notice he dropped good. Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. See, the rich young ruler's mind was convinced that he had done all the things that he was supposed to do. But his heart was not convinced. And don't we experience that same kind of thing? Sometimes our mind wants to rationalize that we are good enough, that we, everything is okay because we are doing our very best. And surely God is going to let our very best be enough. But there's something inside of our heart that says, no, that's not right. That's exactly what's happening here. This rich young ruler concluded he had the pieces, Jesus, eternal life. But his pride would not allow his heart to say Jesus is eternal life. His unbelief had him stuck on trying to earn eternal life and not receiving it as the gift that it is. And I think we become a holy silence in this room right now because we all identify with the rich young ruler, right? Our flesh and our enemy demands doing. It demands measuring up. It demands payback for missing the mark in our own life. But the truth that we all know inside of this room, some may be hearing it for the first time, is the truth is it's impossible to do enough. We will never be, we will never be kalos good. We are not able to be benevolent good out of a pure, perfect heart. Only God is. And there is actually some in this room and even viewing online that that it's not that you can identify with the rich young ruler as a past part of your story. It's your present story. That you are the heart of the rich young ruler. You are asking even now, what must I do to inherit life? I want you to listen to your freedom. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace... You have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. Say this with me. It is the gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one can boast. Your freedom from sin and your freedom to God is found in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. And if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior... His word tells us that we're to confess him as Lord and for us to believe in our heart that he died and that God raised him from the dead. And do you know what God promises? That we will be saved. That we are no longer the rich young ruler with the wrong questions. But instead we are a humble servant with the right Savior The inheritance of eternal life is yours in Christ and the abundant life now that is promised is also yours. But the rich young ruler didn't make that choice. 
Mark 10, 21 says this, and Jesus looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. He kept talking about one thing. Jesus is bringing it to his attention of what he lacks, not what he must do. What that one thing go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Jesus looks at us in the same kind of a way when unbelief is ruling the day in our lives in love. Not in condemnation, but in love. But his love offers an invitation. His love offers an invitation to the life of freedom that we know that is in him, that is only his to give. He wants to be our only treasure. He wants us to follow him. Listen, he wants us to follow him so that his goodness and mercy can follow us. May today begin a journey that we're walking and following him and embracing his goodness so that next year we stand in the same place and we look back and we go, his goodness and mercy, his goodness and mercy has followed me. Surely it has. Mark 10, ends with the rich young ruler not able to choose the treasure in heaven over the possessions of earth. Listen, his heart chose the glitter of gold instead of the goodness of God. Mark 10, this is how he left. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. When you walk away from the Lord and you choose not to follow him, what do you walk away? What have you turned to to pursue? His was great possessions. What is yours? And what is mine? And it would be a great exercise of the heart to put those two together. Put that and put Jesus beside it. And you decide which is worth more. Which is the greatest treasure? 100% of the time, when we don't compartmentalize our heart and we let the fullness of our heart be the fullness of our heart, we will choose Christ again and again and again. Why? Because there's no comparison. It's not the same in choosing Everything that he is, is good. And he desires to be our only treasure. So if you don't know Christ, if today you're kind of listening and go, I am on that question, but I am, I desire an answer for that from my own heart. Don't leave this room. Don't click off of the internet with the same sorrow that you came in this room with. Don't leave with the same emptiness that you walked through the door in and walking out with the same emptiness when the Holy Spirit, even in this moment, is pointing his finger at it and saying, there is someone that will fill that emptiness and his name is Jesus. That you would see him and you would say yes to him. But for those that are believers in Christ that are in this room, we are not here with sorrow, are we? Even if we're going through the hardest of moments, it's not an artificial joy. It is a fruit of the spirit joy, 
of which goodness is one of those fruits of the Spirit. All the things that are happening, all the activity of goodness and kindness that's happened this morning of turkeys and Operation Christmas Child boxes and Agape Women's Center stucking, stucking, stuffers, <laughs> stocking stuffers. All of that is awesome. And we could have two turkeys brought this morning. One that is an abomination before the Lord and one that is a joy before the Lord. One that is filled with saying, I've done my thing. And another turkey that's brought by just the greatest gift that the Lord could ever receive because it's done with a fullness of heart. Church, may his goodness drive us in such a way that his goodness flows out of us. Because it is from his goodness that he's done two things. He's given and he's forgiven. From his goodness, he has given us in this very moment, he has given us gifts of life and hope and peace. And it's from his goodness that he's forgiven every sin. Remember him overcoming every evil? He has overcome every sin So that we stand or sit before him clothed in his righteousness. That's his goodness. So Jesus is asking us, me, he's asking you the exact same question that he asked the rich young ruler. He's asking you, and may your heart hear it, why do you call me good? I want you to sit with that question for just a minute. Because if you're like me, when I hear a question, how has God been good to you? You know what my heart immediately does? It goes from the outside in. Does yours do that? I start talking about all the people in my life. I talk about the blessings of just things in my life. May we not be a people who stay on the outside with our thanksgiving. Because that is not the great work he has done. My question to you is why do you call me good There are parts of your heart that is the testimony of thanksgiving for what he has done in you. Without him doing those things in you, you would be the rich young ruler. You would have increased sorrow as you left instead of increased joy as you left this place today. So as our worship team comes up and we prepare our hearts and our minds, as we prepare for communion together, Lord's Supper together, I want you just to take this moment and I want you to fill your heart with thanksgiving upon thanksgiving with the goodness of Jesus. Would you just go before him and then I will pray in just a minute, but... Would you just go before him? Use your words to reflect your heart 
of why you call Jesus good. Jesus, we come before you and when we really stop and we think of why we call you good, we don't run out of words because the work that you have done, are doing and will continue to do in our lives are not about finite things that, that come and they go. You are doing an eternal thing within us. Therefore, our thanksgiving is eternally infinite, magnificent, filling all of time and space for all of eternity. We will be saying thank you, thank you, thank you. When we see you face to face, Lord, we will be seeing the lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world. We will ever be reminded that you gave your life for us so that we could have life with you eternally. And until that day comes, Lord, you have in your glorious love and your magnificent goodness to us, you live within us today. You hold all things together within us today. So, Lord, those small words that have such big, unimaginable benefit and glory to them, like life, peace, joy, salvation, freedom. Thank you. We say thank you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.